this story is um, getting more and more tragic, if that's even possible, as the uh, time ticks on. Um, FBI is now investigating how law enforcement handled the response to the shooter at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas. After two days of providing often conflicting information, investigators said that uh, the police officers, the the law enforcement, uh, they there was no police officer as originally reported inside Robb Elementary when that 18-year-old shooter arrived at 1130. He went contrary to uh, previous reports of being confronted by, you know, uh, law enforcement, some sort of officer outside the school. Uh, he actually went in the back door. It was unlocked and uh, apparently he entered around 1140. And then the first police officers didn't arrive on scene until tw- 12 minutes after uh, the crash. And they actually um, did not enter the school until 16 minutes after that. And so inside the school was the gunman. They go in and they're driven out by uh, fire uh, between themselves and the gunman. And then they are outside waiting for the uh, border tactical unit to show up. And this is a town that's very small, 16,000 people. Think about how small that is. So everybody knows everybody. And the parents hear about it and they rush to the school. And there were parents held outside by the cops. And they were waiting for the tactical unit to show up. Some of them were wrestled to the ground. Others were put in handcuffs. It wasn't a good scene. And do you blame them? You can hear them in the background. They're hearing the sound of bullets inside the school. And law enforcement officers are not going in. One one parent said, give me your bulletproof vest and your gun and I'll go in. And they were like, well, that's not happening. There's a father that lost his daughter yesterday, and CBC News went down and spoke with him. Uh, Here's what he had to say about being outside that school. We heard heard the shots, you know. They they were just trying to go go back. um, And they're let's do our job, but their job was to go in and and, and save lives, not wait. Instead, it was within minutes. And, and I don't know if you guys were there, the, the, the policeman said it was like, what, 35, 45 minutes before. And that was the truth. Even though that, that's how long, you know, they went to actually, what we saw was go in. And God knows how long my little girl or the rest were, were like that. You know? What do you, how do you console someone like that? Dave Perry joins us now. He's crime and security expert and CEO of Investigative Solutions Network, Inc. Dave, it's just, it's heartbreaking. I think the question that people have is why would law enforcement officers leave a gunman in his school for 40 minutes waiting for tactical units? What's the protocol? Well, you know, if everything we're hearing is true, and I'm horrified. That's the first time I heard that tape when you just played it. Um, if if the officers, in fact, uh, retreated uh, due to gunfire, uh, that's understandable to a certain point. But then if there's continued gunfire inside the school, you know what's happening. You know that people, are, children, are being most likely shot and murdered and slaughtered. And it's, it's uh, the policy and, and the duty of the officers to go in and to confront that person and take them out. So I, I can't even imagine. I, just when you think that story was as tragic as, as it could possibly be to hear that tape just, just sends it to a whole new level. 
Oh, absolutely. And just the fact that, you know, parents were just beside themselves, you know, and being pushed away, pushed back mm-hmm. and saying, no, 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 don't go in. It's not safe. Well, I know it's not safe. My kid's in there. Uh, school yeah. shooters, they really don't have a history of taking hostages, though. And we, you know, when you go through uh, shooting incidents in, in active shooters in schools, they're basically looking for up in the body count. It's a horrible way to put it, but that's the reality. So that's where I'm, my mind is boggled. Well, we, we learn about future behavior from past behavior, and especially in the United States, we have way too many examples of what you just said. Uh, they're not going in there for hostages. They're, they're going in there to be the next one on the list and to get the body count up as high as possible. And these are children. And, and you know, I, I don't know, I just don't know how any police officer could stand outside it. And this might sound too highly critical and maybe a little bit too much speculation based on what we know, but boy, you just played that tape. And I, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm having a hard time with my emotions. I, I could, I personally could not stand outside that school, regardless if I was a parent or a police officer, you know, you know, when you hear gunfire, you know what's happening in there. And your duty is to go in there and, and shoot that guy, kill him, take him out and protect those children. And if there was a delay, a delay and people were waiting for a tag team response, that's a massive error, a massive, massive error that probably cost the lives of, of, of a lot of children. We had a scare ourselves here yesterday in Scarborough. We had schools being locked down. Kids said they were under their desk for up to an hour, uh, not knowing if this was a drill, but figuring out after, you know, some time under their desk that this might not be a drill. A uh, man was shot dead by police after reports of a, a person with a rifle uh, started flooding into the uh, cops and the Ontario police watchdog, the SIU have been called in because that man has been shot dead. He was 27. Um, they can't say much about uh, the gun that he was carrying, except for the fact that they now have confirmed it's a pellet gun. Why are, why is the police are the police not able to talk about something once uh, the SIU get involved? Can you clarify that for us? Cause it, the information that we're getting is, you know, from journalists that may have been on scene, but otherwise we're not hearing much from the police chief. Could I, could I call you on the next seven shows to tell you how angry I am with that policy and the flaw in the policy that once the SIU invokes their mandate that the police are forbidden from speaking publicly about the case. I've been talking about this for years, Kelly. It's very, very frustrating. And listen, I know the SIU have a mandate and they have a job to do, but one of the things that they're horrible at is the public communications component that causes more stress and more harm to the community than anything I've ever seen. We should be getting information about this this gunman. We should be having information about, you know, perhaps what his intentions were or suspected intentions were. You know, was he going to a school? I don't know. We should know that by today. You know, mm-hmm. was he there uh, suicide by cop? If that's the case, we should know that today. And we should at least have some information, but that's that's the policy. And, and the chief of police is forbidden from saying any more than he said in the press conference he did yesterday. And for people listening going, well, well, well why? You know, I'm not in Scarborough. Why do we need to know more? In your opinion, why do we need to know more? Well, I think that, I think that the, uh, the police serve the public. And, and therefore, the public have the right to know. As, as You know, there are limits, of course, you know, contamination of an ongoing investigation, all of those kinds of things. But, you know, just a quick example, there was a shooting years ago. Um, 
the family, of course, was saying there's no way that their son had a firearm. I knew people that were on that that scene and, you know, said to me 100% there was a firearm used. And it mm-hmm. took months and months for the SIU to finally come out and say that the uh, the deceased, in fact, had a firearm, pointed it at the police, the, the shooting was justified. So think of all of the turmoil out there in the community and and the harm that it does between the community and the police with with that kind of information swirling around we need the facts so we can understand yeah. and if it's critical yeah. of the police then let's let's take that conversation where that needs to go but if it's clearing the police then we should be having that conversation as well and you know it doesn't take a year to process a scene like this it takes the SIU a year or more sometimes to process the scene and then play with their report until they finally release it. I don't understand the delays. If they're understaffed, they get more staff. It's just not, it's just not right. And, you know, while the police are being held accountable and those officers are under all that stress because until the SIU issue the report, they don't know if they're going to be charged or not. Can you imagine? No. You're, you don't know whether or not you're going to be criminally charged for actively uh, following up your duties to protect the public. And on the other side, you know, there are, there are members of the public that are thinking, what did they do to my son? You know, how how did this happen? There's no way the police executed my son. There's, there's such a... It's not great for police community relations it, at all, right? It, it looks bad on the cops. It looks... It's bad for the community. It's it's an unhealthy... It should be a symbiotic relationship, right? To serve and protect. It and and what you're talking about now uh, sows the seeds of doubt. I want to very quickly, Dave, because I don't have a lot of time with you, uh, talk about red flag, uh, flag laws. Some states are considering adopting them after the the uh, massacre that just ensued in Texas. Can you speak to how effective they are? Because there are some people that say uh, these laws are laws where, you know, if there's somebody close to the to um, someone that's having mental issues uh, or a law enforcement agency realizes that this person's going through, uh, you know, some uh, mental health issues that will it could endanger their lives or somebody else's, they have the ability to take away any firearms or at least stop them from buying firearms for a period. Are these only effective when it comes to, because you, you were talking about um, suicide by cop and the fact that this guy had a gun, you don't know what was going through his head. It was just a BB gun. But are they effective uh, when it comes to mass shootings or is it so hard to tell? Well, it's it's hard to tell. And, you know, it would take a combination, like almost the perfect storm, for that to happen in a way that it would it would stop one of these mass shootings. Everything would have to be coming together at the same time. So you would need somebody reporting. You'd need somebody that understood what was being reported, did the right thing with reporting, the courts to make a right decision, and so on and so forth, to perhaps avoid one of these things. I don't have a lot of faith that this is going to stop what's happening in the U.S. in particular. But they've got to start doing something. Then first thing they need to start doing is having real conversations of their lack lack of gun control. And I think that's the only way they're going to start uh, turning the tide on what's happening down there. It's, you know, this story here, I, I actually preferred I didn't have to speak about it this morning. It's just so heart-wrenching. It's just that extra yeah. level of pain. And as you and I have talked about before, uh, we've said it way too many times. If this is not the one that makes changes happen down there, I don't know what is. Dave, Thank you very much for joining us. I appreciate your expertise. Have yourself a, a, as good a weekend as you can. Likewise. All the best. Cheers. Dave Perry is a crime and security expert and CEO of Investigative Solutions Network.